0: 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, 2 Timothy, of course, comes after 1 Timothy. So if you're looking for it, there you go. It also comes right before Titus. So if you were ever wondering, all those 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, they're in alphabetical order. So if you're ever like, I can't find it, if you find one T, just search around. It's in that area. Uh, right, Bible study tricks. It's like when you open your Bible, if you're looking for Psalms, just open to the middle, you'll find it, and then you just gotta find the right one. We are gonna talk about women today. Um, It is Mother's Day, right? But, and I've talked about this many, many, many times. In fact, I've probably mentioned this all four Mother's Days that I've been your pastor now, but being a mother is by birth, right? The term mother literally means the person who biologically gave birth to you. Being a mom is something altogether entirely different, um, and, and we like to think that just because you're a mother, it means you can be a good mom, and sadly, that's not the case. I have had a good amount of women in my life who, I don't call them mom, but they have fulfilled some mom-like roles at points and done some incredible things in my life, and that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about here this morning. There is one verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1 in these first couple of verses that we're going to focus and key in on and then walk around the surrounding verses around it, right? And I want to say this from the jump. You may or may not be a biological mother. All your kids might be grown and out of the house or not. You may have never had your own biological kids. That's all right. What we're going to talk about here this morning, it applies Directly to you as well, because of the way God made women, you have the capability of imparting these things into the people around you just as much as a quote biological mother does let 's read it, second Timothy chapter one verses one through Now, I wrote one through seven on your note sheets, and then I wrote one through five up there. So it's your guess is as good as mine if there's two more verses after that. There are. So we're actually going to read one through seven. I just made an error, and since nobody proofreads the PowerPoints that your pastor makes, it's all of your fault again. Now, one through seven, let's read it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. If you grabbed a note sheet, and all the bulletins were gone from up here, so if you want a bulletin, I think there's still some. There are. There's some back there. Uh, if you if you grabbed a bulletin and have a note sheet, there's only one fill in the blank, and here it is. A mother imparts. A mother imparts. You can put the word mom in there if you'd like to. It's all good as long as you get the, the idea of it. Right? So verse 5 is the quintessential verse in what we're going to talk about today, right? For I'm I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. So let's start there, right? A sincere faith, right? To do that, we need to define what faith is, right? I've seen a lot of definitions of faith. In fact, I was talking to my dear wife the one day, she did not do this, I was just talking to her about it, and somebody shared something on Facebook that was like, faith is when you step out onto the water and you, you hope you don't drown and this and that. And I'm like, boy, I'm pretty sure Hebrews 11 says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the belief in things unseen. Why are we changing the definition that God gave us? If God gave us a definition for something, perhaps we should define it like that. The sentiment was correct. I just don't understand why we have to try to change things and modernize them. This is a completely different sermon. But your pastor hates it when we as believers try to take the words of God and be like, I can make it sound better. I can make it better. No, you can't. Stop it. Say what the Bible says. So the definition of faith we will be working with today, and apparently I'm still going through puberty because my voice just cracked. 28 years old, and here we go. The definition of puberty, oh gosh, the definition of puberty is when you turn 11, 12 years old. No, all right, all right. The definition of faith that we will be working with today is that of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the insurance of things hoped for, the belief in things unseen. Let's just take just a couple of quick minutes and talk about what that means, because it, it defines what um, 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 Lois and Eunice have passed down into Timothy, okay? The assurance of things hoped for. So the greatest amount of faith is in Christ Jesus. It's a hoped-for thing, our salvation. okay? Do you have, outside of this book, any guarantee? Of your salvation. That's what makes it faith. Now. I am not trying to be like. You shouldn't have faith in it. But the fact of the matter is. It's a faith based thing. Now. We know from uh, uh, 1 Corinthians. That faith, hope and love are there. Right? The greatest is love. Faith passes away. Why? Because once we're in heaven. You have no need for faith anymore. Because it is no longer hoped for it is no longer unseen. Faith is the belief in something unseen. I'm putting you on the spot because I don't remember the exact sentence you gave, but I really liked it. The men were walking through a Bible study in faith recently, and you gave a great definition for the difference between faith and trust. Do you remember what you said? For those of you that may not have heard him or for our podcast and stuff that we're making, I'll repeat it. Trust is something you can see, is belief in something you can see. You sit in the pew, right? Or, uh, you know, the popular one, you're in a birding building and your father says, trust me to jump, you can see him. You're putting your trust that he will catch you. Faith is the belief in the unseen. Faith is belief that if I not squat, but just take all my weight off my legs and sit right now, I will stay floating. Or that I cannot, what? Gravity, gravity. you can't see gravity. But boy, I have faith that's going to keep me on the ground because I really don't want to be up there. I'm terrified of heights. I'm thinking that trip up to heaven when the rapture happens is going to be the most terrifying moment of my life because we're just going up and up and up. And I'm like, please don't drop me. I don't want to go back down for a myriad of reasons. But either way, right? So that's the difference between faith and trust. We say we trust in Jesus. We even said it this morning, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." More accurately, it's just so sweet to have faith in Jesus, okay? Faith is in the unseen, and it is the assurance of that hope in it. So this is what uh, uh, Lois and Eunice have imparted into Timothy, right? So who is Timothy? Timothy was in charge of the church at Ephesus after uh, uh Paul left, along with a few other churches throughout his time. He was a young man. In fact, we read in, uh, in, in 1 Timothy, right? Don't, look, don't let people look down on you because of your age, because of your youth. Now, let's put that into perspective. It means he was at least 30 years old because he was Jewish. And you weren't a man until you were then. So I don't think he's 25 years old running the church. So I'm younger than Timothy. You're welcome. But... The fact of the matter is, Timothy is a, a man who God has raised up to lead a church, to lead his people, and it started with his grandmother and with his mother. We don't really hear about who Timothy's dad was very much. In fact, I don't know that we hear about it at all. I could be wrong, it's not a hill I'm going to die on here, right? But as far as I know, we don't hear about Timothy's father at all. We hear about his grandmother and his mother, who impart faith to him, a sincere faith to this young man. Faith allows a lot of things, right? Some of you may know they're not really popular anymore, but the, the, uh, the band Cutlass had a song uh, called That's What Faith Can Do, right? It was all about, look, this is what faith can do, right? So let's, uh, you could probably come up with your own favorite one. Some of my favorite stories of what faith can do is Peter stepping out of the boat on the storm. Now his faith waned when he looked at the storm around him, but the amount of faith it took to step step out of that boat, incredible. Gideon had to have faith that he was going to be able to take over to, to destroy the Midianites. It was lacking. God had to take him down and show him the dream and stuff like that, but he had faith. You pick your favorite, Ruth, Esther, There's so many throughout Scripture. You pick your favorite story of faith. If you're wondering, read through Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. Here's the thing about faith, though, before we really dive into what these things are. Faith is very rarely realized. What do I mean by that? When you read through like the Hall of Faith, it says at the very end, none of them saw what was promised. None of them. Because God had bigger things in mind. Their faith in God was realized when they got to heaven. Abraham's promise was not realized to him. Abraham's promise was that his descendants would be greater than the number of the stars in the sky. He didn't get to see it. It was promised that the the Messiah would come through the line of David. David was dead a thousand years before Jesus was born. Most of the time, even today, God doesn't usually let us see the ending of our faith like that. Sometimes he does. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not going to say he never does. Sometimes he does. But he is asking you, put your faith in me. You may not see the outcome, but trust that I'm in control of it nonetheless. That's what faith is. Faith is believing that God has control of the outcome, even if you're not there. And probably, especially when you are there. Because we like to get our grubby little hands on things and mess everything up. It's this great... I think about the woman at the well. We just read about this in our men's group. Jesus sends the disciples away because he knows they're just going to mess it up. They have to go and get the food. Because he knows they're going to mess it up. They didn't see the, 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 the faith that this woman has until everybody comes out. Faith is an incredibly difficult concept, one, for us to understand, and two, for us to walk in because we don't get to see the crop. We don't get to see the harvest very often. He asks us to water, to plant, and he'll take care of the harvesting. This faith, though, is what's imparted into Timothy. It's what allows Timothy to become the man that Paul feels comfortable leaving behind in Ephesus to run the church. It's who, it's, it allows Timothy to travel with Paul, to become a Christian, to be the man that gets two letters written to him that we have in Scripture. What does this faith look like? I think the following verses kind of show us, right? Verse seven, especially, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now, don't misunderstand me, because you, you might say, pastor, you're, you, you hate verses out of context. I do. So, I am not saying that Eunice and Lois gave Timothy this spirit of power, of, of discipline and such. God did that. The verse very clearly says God does that. I am saying that, That the faith that these women imparted into Timothy allowed him to walk in this. Got the ball rolling, if you will. So this spirit, right, power in and of the spirit of God. We all know, right, or at least I hope we all know, God is omnipotent, right, all-powerful. That does not mean that you are all-powerful because he lives in you. I am sorry you can't go out if you walk outside here, grab a ladder, and get on our roof. I mean like I'm gonna fly because I have Jesus in me. I would bet you'll be on the ground. Fairly quickly. What is it, 9.28 feet per second? Is that terminal velocity? So so you get there, you get there pretty quick. Just saying. The power of the spirit comes in doing some incredible things. The power of the Spirit was when Peter and John, especially Peter, is like, hey, dude, get up and walk. You're taking too long. Get up. That's the power of the Spirit. The power in and of the Spirit is you working in the Spirit, in the will of God. I doubt it's God's will for you to fly around New Milford, which is why it won't happen. You know what it might be God's will for you to do? encourage somebody, show them who Christ is, things like that. It's a spirit of power, of boldness to do the will of God. And most of the time we view them as the mundane things, right? We would love to be the ones who are driving out spirits and toppling kingdoms and, oh, we're so powerful in God, and God's going, will you just show love to the person at the water fountain? I'm not asking you to go too far. That's what the spirit of power is. And then you've got the spirit of love, and I'm not going to read it all, but again, God gives us this incredible definition that we will not go against in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And here's the glorious thing about love love is a command, it's not a choice, or it's not, a, um, it, it's, it's not innate, right? When you say, I've fallen in love with her, she's so pretty. She's got great hair. She's got a great bod. She's got, oh, I just am in love with her. You're actually in infatuation with her. Just saying. Love, on the other hand, is a choice that you make. When that hair starts to change color and it's no longer a vibrant red, when that body is now 70 years old and not 20, And everything is sagging when it wasn't 50 years ago. When they never snored before. And then you find that they snore every night right next to your ear. Because for some reason you have a king size bed and they need to be pressed right up against you. Love is when you are drenched in sweat because they're pressed right up against you. But you dare not move because you don't want to wake her up. Love is when you ask her four hours before you're going out for dinner to start thinking about what she wants for dinner, and six o'clock rolls around, and you haven't eaten since noon, and you're like, I'm about to eat something, and she hasn't thought about it yet. In case you were wondering, none of these are what my wife does. (laughs) Love is a choice that you make. To love somebody, you never fall out of love. you fall out of infatuation. Love is what should remain. and here's the th- here's the important thing. you cannot love without Christ. you cannot do it. Peter tells us that God is love, not just that God loves, God is love, therefore you need God in order to love. That's right if you are not a believer, I do not believe you can truly love another person because you don't know God's love yet. However, if you are a believer, you have ample opportunity and ability to love everyone around you. Do it. It's not easy. When... You know, I I talked about some funny stuff my wife does. She could give you a laundry list of things that I do that make it hard for her to love me. And I could give you a laundry list as well. I just don't want you to think too bad about me. So I won't. I'm perfect. I've got this husband thing down pat. I got nothing left to learn. We've been married less than two years. We're doing good. Some of you have been married in here for like 50 years and you're like, (laughs) don't worry about it. But here's the thing, right? So we're commanded to love. He gave us a spirit that allows us to love. Your pastor is not a loving person. I thank you that so many of you over the past four years have been like, you're so kind, you're so loving, you're so this. Boy, if you actually knew me at all, you'd be like, he's not that at all. I have to make the choice to love you guys. It's nothing against any of you. In fact, you are all great people. I just don't like people. I never have. I'm a bit like my dad. I'll stay. I like Maddie. And I'll just go live on a hill with Maddie. And I'd be happy the rest of my life. I'd be happy. Don't need anybody else. But that's not what God called us to do. We love each other. And see, that's the incredible thing that it is a choice. Because it means I have no excuse to not love you. And you have no excuse not to love other people. You can't go, God, I just didn't have it. And he goes, well, yeah, you didn't. Because you weren't relying on on me. You weren't relying on my love. Lastly, we have the spirit of discipline. The Bible does not give us an outright definition of discipline like it did the first couple. So I uh, I won't point to a specific scripture passage. But here it is. Discipline is doing what is right. There you go. Do you have the discipline not to sin? Do you have the discipline? I don't have this discipline. When somebody brings a whole pizza, I have to eat it. Because pizza is amazing. That's why every time I go to the doctor for him to check up my diabetes, he tells me I've gained weight. Because food is good. And I don't have the discipline not to eat it when it's put in front of me. Just saying. You put a, you, If somebody walked in here right now and was like, you want a Three Musketeers bar, I'd be like, yeah. Put it right there. I'm a diabetic. I shouldn't eat that. I don't care. Put, put it right there. Right? Discipline is doing the right thing. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with eating pizza and stuff like that, right? As long as you're eating fairly healthy the rest of the time, right? But I despise vegetables. I don't have the discipline to eat broccoli, and I don't want it. It tastes bad. You can't do anything to it to make it taste good because cheese doesn't taste good either. So you can't even put cheese on it. And you can't put cheese in refried beans to make them taste good either. For those of you that don't know, my dad was like, Here we were, I was like, I was probably five years old. and He's like, you gotta eat refried beans. I don't want refried beans. Put some cheese in it. I don't like cheese. That's not gonna make it better. Eat your refried beans, no. It's all good. We make fun of him for it. It didn't go down quite like that, but, you know, that's how it goes down in my brain. Discipline is doing the right thing no matter the circumstance. People have asked me, and I'm not trying to brag on this, because it is the upbringing that I had that allows me to do this. You always just seem to be the bigger person and do the right thing. First off, not true. You should see the amount of times that I am petty. But also, too, it's because I was raised to be disciplined and be the bigger person and do the right thing just do it. Even when you don't want to, just do it. Do the right thing. Leave the consequences up to God. Do it. That's what discipline is. And Paul says, listen, you've been imparted the spirit of power to do the will of God, of love, to love the unlovable people around you. And yes, I don't want to shock you, but not a single person in this building is lovable. We are all unlovable, yet God did it, and he commands us to do it. And of discipline, to do the right thing. And it started with the faith that was imparted to Timothy by the life of Lois and Eunice. So let's wrap this all up here. Bring it all into Mother's Day. Women, you have an ability to impart faith that men cannot. You do. I'm not saying people like my dad and various other men I know don't have faith. It's a different kind of faith. Men's faith is a bit more like men. Brash, in your face, hop out of the boat, that sort of faith, right? Women's faith is a lot more of that like Ruth or Esther, who did amazing, incredible things that took real faith, yet it wasn't smacking you across the face. It was a quiet faith, if you will. A stronger, quiet faith. You have the ability to impart that to the people around you, especially the children. Whether they are your biological kids or not. Now, I'm not saying, women, that you should just grab one of the kids that's back there and be like, I'm going to teach you faith. No. But a lot of you in here do things like set up communion or... Help out, right? First off, I want to praise the men real quick because we had a ton of help today to get everything ready downstairs. That was awesome to see all those men step up and help us out. However, it's most of the time women who step up to do that sort of stuff, quite frankly. I'm not bashing you men. I'm not trying to hit you real hard. I'm praising the women because they step up to do the quote little things that aren't little in any way, shape, or form. You can teach the people around you by what you do. She's not here this morning, so I'm going to praise her, because even if she's watching at home, she can be all like, Pastor, and I don't have to hear her. She might call me, but whatever. I went up and saw Ida in the hospital a couple of times over the past week before she went home. And by the way, she is home, by the way. I don't know if, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned that. She is at home now. So, um, but I went up and saw her. I think it was, it was Monday. Cause that was the day you guys were coming back on Monday. And I said, you know, I, I, we were talking there and I said, you know, just how you doing? And she goes, you know, God has it. This is an 80 some year old woman who has beaten cancer at least once. And I think twice skin cancer, who now very possibly has cancer in her liver, who just goes, God has it. She's right, God does have it. But to have that sort of quiet faith, just go, I will do what I have to, I will do what I can, but God's got it. I'm not saying there's not a tempest raging around her and even inside of her. There was also a tempest raging around Peter. Peter said, God's got it. Till he looked around a little bit, but he still said, God's got it. That's the sort of thing you can do in the big and in the little. It was such a massive encouragement to me, who's not walking through anything as serious as cancer, to hear her go, I'm okay, because God's got it. That's what that sort of faith does. And I believe, as we read through this, that's the sort of faith that these two women impart to Timothy. God's got it. Trust Him. Put your faith in Him. God's got it. Church, I want to tell you here this morning, and I'm speaking to the men, but specifically to the women here this morning. God's got it. He's got it under control. Whatever you're facing right now, God's got it. And the greatest thing that you can do for the people around you is to live out that faith that God's got it. To just live it out. You don't have to get up here and preach. You don't have to speak. You don't have to lead women's group. You don't have to just live out the life of God's got this. And I can walk through this because God's got it. You'll be amazed at the encouragement you bring to the people around you to help them realize God's got it. Ladies, you have an incredible role to play in the life, in the kingdom of what God is creating. I want to encourage you this morning and admonish you and maybe push you a little bit. Do it. Live it out. Continue to live it out. So that maybe one day, yes, Scripture is written. You won't be in the Bible. I'm sorry. You won't be. I used to think when I was a kid, what if I wrote a song good enough that would make it into the Bible? And I was like, but the canon of Scripture is closed, so that won't happen. Your name won't be written in this book. But boy, you could get to heaven and God goes, well done, good and faithful servant. You lived it out and you imparted it to the people around you. You did exactly what I asked of you. Come on in. Have a great time because you don't need faith anymore because you can see me. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you as, I, as, as we prayed downstairs here. I thank you for women, for the differences that you've made between men and women to help us all be a part of this. I thank you for the faith that they can impart, that quiet faith that takes an under uh, an underlining layer of strength to have that can be imparted to others just by the way that they live. I thank you for Lois and Eunice who imparted it to Timothy and for the thousands of women throughout history who have imparted it to young men and women who then can impart things to other people. Father, I want to pray for the women of this church, whether they're right here in the pew, whether they're down the hallway, whether they're watching at home or going to listen somewhere else or whatever. I pray for the women, that you would strengthen them, that you would embolden them to have that faith. I thank you for what they have already done. I pray that whatever they are facing right now, you would give them the faith to walk through it and say, God's got this. God's got this. I thank you for them. I thank you for the women in my life who have played such an important role to me and to making me who I am today. We lift you up. We praise you. Give us an excellent Mother's Day. Give us a great week. We praise you. and In the name of your son we pray. Amen and amen.